Hey again, everybody. John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society, and you're listening to the Backcast Podcast. Hey, this week uh, we have a special guest. We're going to break format and uh, uh, go away from our unsung heroes of the Asable uh, theme uh, for a week and uh, share a conversation with John Dallas, a friend of the river, friend of ours, and uh, just a fantastic gentleman. I think you guys are going to enjoy this, so stay tuned. Hey, Glenn. Hey, John. Hey, listeners. Uh, this week, Glenn and I have a special offering for you, uh, a good friend and a uh, good friend of the river. Uh, John Dallas is with us uh, for this episode, and uh, Glenn, why don't you... Uh, Take the lead here. I'd be delighted. Uh, Hello there, podcast listeners all over the world. Uh, This is Glenn, and uh, we do have a special day. Uh, Actually, this podcast is probably run an hour, and uh, uh, knowing John Dallas, this should be the first of of an eight-hour series. Uh, But we're limited. (laughs) The the uh, (laughs) mini-series. We'll we'll only get it going for about an hour or so, but... Um, John is a uh, multifaceted fellow. Uh, I've known John since probably 2000 when we met at a Osaba North Bench Area Foundation dinner. Uh, and uh, just, just a little bit of background. John is a fly fisherman. He ties flies. He's a duck hunter, a grouse and woodcock hunter. Uh, he carves decoys. Uh, he's a consummate conservationist. Um, he's a teacher and most importantly a great baker Um, actually uh, his cinnamon rolls should be on a controlled substance list Mm. they are phenomenal and we're gonna have a course in that I think John coming up I hope but John welcome to the podcast the backcast podcast It's great to have you here Um, and uh, uh, we're going to some background but welcome man good to have you glad to be here I'm looking forward to it we're gonna have some fun um, you know, this is a fly fishing uh, museum that we celebrate. Uh, so maybe we should start with uh, with your introduction to fly fishing. How did you get involved in uh, this wonderful sport? I grew up I grew up on the East Coast. Uh, actually, I had my first four birthdays in four different states. My dad worked for Dupont during the Second World War. He was making explosives all over the country, and so my first birth, four birthdays were in four different states. Landed in Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, grew up, was there through college, through graduate school, through the Army, until I came to work for Ford back in 1971, I guess it was. Um, I, uh, so back east, I, we had no, I had no exposure to fly fishing. I had no exposure to grouse hunting or deer hunting. Uh, what hunting I did was a little bit of duck hunting with my dad. So coming out here was an all-new experience. Uh, but when I was back east in, in Wilmington, you may recognize the name Wilmington as, as Joe Biden's adopted <laughs> home these days. And as it turns out, the man who was best man in our in our wedding, Bob Stewart, who unfortunately passed away way too early, sat in my in our kitchen in Wilmington in 1960 or 61, and told my mom and I, "You watch, Joe Biden's going to be president of the United States." That was 1960 or 61. Unfortunately, as I say, Bob passed away. Otherwise, he'd be buying lottery tickets. Right. So the fly fishing didn't hit until you got to Michigan. Didn't hit until I came to Michigan. I, uh, in the uh, working at Ford, I, the man who had the desk next to me had a place on the Manistee, and uh, 
one of the old consumers power leases down below the Three Seas Bridge. And that was the first place I was introduced to, to all three, grouse hunting, deer hunting, and fly fishing. Uh, and mm. uh, th that was great stuff. The, I do remember the first time Dave took me grouse hunting. We had no dog or anything. And Dave keeps <laughs> reminding me how hard grouse hunting is. The birds are they're skittish. They fly at odd angles. They're quick. You know, it's really hard. I said, well, okay, I'm willing to try to learn it. And so we're walking through the woods, and a bird flushes right in front of me, going straight away in a wide-open opening, like Station 7 skeet shot. And I shoot <laughs> and kill the bird and say to Dave, I don't know what's so hard about this, until I burned up the rest of the box of shells and never touched a feather. <laughs> beginner's luck, good old beginner's luck. It's, it's like catching a big fish on your first cast. You're just not right it's after. You're going to be right after that. That's exactly right. That's yep. just not supposed to happen. No, no. But it's great fun when it is, when it does. Yeah. Um, uh, John, we've, we've fished and, and hunted together quite a bit, and it's been a pleasure. And I, you know, I, I'm thinking about this fellow, and, and uh, you know, I, I think a good measure of a man is, is uh, the number of friends he has. And uh, knowing, knowing John from 2000, uh, this man has more friends than I have trout flies. Yeah. <laughs> and I got a hell of a lot of You've trout flies. You've got a flies. few of those, and, yeah. And uh, it's been an honor to know John and a real pleasure. He's, he's an awful lot of fun. He's got a great sense of humor and, and uh, uh, he, like some of us, will even tell a joke on himself occasionally. But... Uh, uh, it's been a treat to know him and, and uh, uh, see what he's done. And I'd like to touch on his conservation activities. Uh, we, you know, we're a fishing club, but uh, along with fly fishing comes the love of conservation. And John has been involved in a number of organizations. Uh, he was the president of the Osable North Ranch Area Foundation uh, for longer than was legal by the bylaws. And I think in one meeting he says, hey guys, I've been president for three years. I'm only supposed to be here for two or four or whatever it was. Uh, and he relinquished that job, but he's also been president of the Headwaters Land Conservancy, which is a terrific uh, mm -hmm. uh, conservation group uh, in northern Michigan. Um, he is a uh, board member and uh, on the finance committee of Anglers of the Osable, and very involved and in also in uh, Reeling and Healing, which is a great organization. Mm -hmm. and John, let's, I'd like you to tell the, the podcast listeners about your, your conservation activity, uh, how you got involved in that. Well, I guess it my again, as I said, I grew up on the East Coast, and my my exposure to outdoorsy stuff was primarily duck hunting. And so when I came to Michigan, one of the things I did is I got myself involved with a Ducks Unlimited chapter in Oakland County. Uh, partially, you know, a number one because I wanted to conserve the ducks, but number two as a means of starting to meet some people who had similar interests. Mm. And uh, the I guess the the culmination of that was. Our, our little, D, uh, little DU chapter put on a dinner for 1,100 of our closest friends <laughs> on, the, on the floor of the Silver Dome. It was wow. called Ducks on the Dome. Ducks under the Dome, I guess it was called. Oh, my God. Uh, <clears throat> and it was, it was uh, stunning. Uh, let me just say it that way. As I say, we had 1,100 people on the floor of the Silver Dome. Uh, and we were anticipating ra raising huge amounts of money. We had great prizes and so forth. And all was going well until they turned the, the amplifiers on for the microphones. And you couldn't hear, you couldn't understand a word that was coming through the mic because oh. the amplifiers were all set up, the speakers were all set up to direct the sound to 70,000 people sitting in the stands. 
And we had 1,100 people on the floor of the Silver Dome. <laughs> and so what came out was un, absolutely unintelligible. Oh, oh, my God. And so the whole the whole auction thing turned out to be an absolute disaster. <laughs> Nobody could understand what was being bid. How much was it? What are they offering? <laughs> oh my God. And so, unfortunately, I think we, we still made money, but uh, that, uh, that Ducks Under the Dome was... Uh, there are lots of stories I could tell for a long time about that evening, but... That was then my introduction. It was, it was on, on several different levels. And you didn't bail out right there. No, you, you didn't said, bail. Oh, you stayed no, with it. No, no, I'm a slow learner, I guess. So stayed stayed with, with them. Oh, my God. One of the men who was a, a leader in that was a man named Ed Gallaudet. And I remember Ed. And yep. Ed, actually, his family, for those who might know, his family somewhere were the people who started the Gallaudet School for the Deaf or the Hard of Hearing. Uh, which is, I think, somewhere in New, New York or New England, somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. But Eddie was was a, a super guy, hardworking conservationist, who also who also somewhere came up with a sauce yes. called Gallaudet sauce for uh, duck breasts and any any uh, heavily heavy heavy uh, tasting uh, lamb or what have you. Uh, it's a wonderful, goose. wonderful yeah, goose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a great sauce. If uh, anybody of you are interested, if you get, find some way to get a hold of me, I'll be happy to share the recipe with you. It's really mm-hmm. a, a great little recipe. What are the primary ingredients, John? Uh, uh, currant jelly, lemon juice. Um, wine. There's some wine in there, white wine. Uh, I'm running out of. I'm running out of this. But yeah, I should have looked it up. No, they just give, give an yeah, idea. It's, of what it's that a brown, it's a brown sauce, wine. which you then you reduce. You put it in a saucepan, reduce it. Don't cook it too long, or it turns into taffy. But it's uh, it's really a nice sauce. I like it. So that was kind of my introduction to conservation. Uh, came out here, and once I got found out about this thing called grouse hunting and deer hunting and, and fly fishing, that's what got me going. And I guess when I started getting involved with the North Branch Foundation, you know, it occurred to me that if this place is, is nice enough for me to live in, it's nice enough for me to help try to preserve. There you go. Great so sentiment. That's, Good sentiment. That's yeah. that, that's so that, that's what it was, and I've been happy to, to be you know contributing in whatever minor way I can. Now, how did you get pointed to the north? Through my friend Dave, that the, had the original so, cabin. Okay. His so cabin was in a very remote spot uh, on the Manistee, uh, and uh, I said to myself, if I'm ever going to get a place up north, it's going to be somewhat remote like that. Okay. okay. Uh, what we've ended up with is not as remote as as his is. Uh, even today, uh, he does not have internet access. Well, he's actually sold the cabin, but they do not have internet access over there today. Golly. Uh, so it is remote. Um, so what we have is not quite that bad, but you know we have we've got several hundred feet of frontage here on the river and on the North Branch, and uh, so that's how we ended up here. So we, I wanted to be. I was still working at the time. And I wanted to be inside of three hours from work okay. so that I could come up on Friday night. And so I kind of drew a three-hour arc on the map and said, I've got to be inside of that three-hour arc. That's a good way to do it. And that's we, how we, we did it. We did exactly the same thing. We looked about, you know, Harvard Springs and Traverse, and that was just four hours plus, and mm-hmm. it didn't make sense if you were working. So well, we that last hour getting hour there distance. from here is always... <laughs> yeah, Sunday, after, Sunday afternoon, night, Sunday, oh going back. Sunday afternoon with a bunch of sunburned, drunk boat trailers. Uh, it's not a good thing. No, no, no not great. at all. And John's got a beautiful log lodge on the North Branch below Morley, above above Morley Access, and uh, we've had a lot of fun there. A lot of fun at uh, Dallas's. We were there one night uh, at New Year's, and I got a call from my son that uh, 
we had a chimney fire at uh, our cabin on Shupak Lake, and I said, Dave, I'm not, I'm not the guy to call. I think 911 is the call. <laughs> and he got he got a hold of the, of, of the fire department, and I, I thought, well, I better go back and check the cabin. So I, I came home to see what was going on. I walked in the back door, and here's a fire chief in our in our living room, and they're putting out the chimney fire, no damage really. But he looked at me and said, what are you doing here? I said, uh, uh, I, I live here. He said, oh, I'll be damned. So it was an interesting evening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, John Dallas is also a teacher. And uh, I'd like to touch on this. Uh, John and I spent the last weekend at the TU Fly Fishing School. And I think he's, they blame him for getting me involved. <laughs> um, uh, and what a great organization that is. But along with that, he's very much involved in reeling and healing. And John, tell us about that. I know how much you enjoy uh, teaching, as, as some of us do, but share some of your thoughts on teaching. Reeling and Healing is a remarkable organization. <clears throat> a young woman, but by my standards, young woman. I think everybody is young. <laughs> They're all young with us. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> but Kathy Ciro is her name. She has been living in Chicago. Uh, started a, a group called Reeling and Healing, which is a, an, a, a place for women who have or have had cancer come stay at Gates Lodge for two and a half days or so and learn to fly fish. Uh, and it's a remarkable experience. Uh, it is not, my, uh, on my experience, it is not about having cancer, although that is a pre prerequisite for getting into the place. Mm -hmm. But it's not about cancer, it's about fly fishing. It's and, about and living. It's about living, it's about challenging yourself, it's about going somewhere where you haven't been before. Mm -hmm. And so even something which for us seems trivial, putting on waders and standing in a stream and feeling the water around you in those waders, for these women, for almost all of these women, mm -hmm. is an entirely new experience. And it's a chance for them to, to get out of the shell that they've, they've unfortunately been placed in and to get somewhere where they haven't been before. And uh, I, I have a, I always enjoyed teaching there. You know, the women that leave there may not ever pick up a fly rod again, but it doesn't matter. For, for 72 mm -hmm. hours, they were somewhere where they hadn't mm -hmm. been before, and it was a happy place. Well, exactly. Right. Put them in a different headspace and allow them to see the beauty. As, you know, as we've often said, wherever trout hang out, it's typically a beautiful place anyway. So it's a yeah. nice way to get their minds refocused. Yeah. The and smiles on their faces is just uh, is a hell of a reward, isn't it, John? I mean, sure to see these ladies uh, open up and... And, and you all actually see the healing qualities of uh, this wonderful experience of uh, uh, fly fishing, whether you catch trout or not. And, and we've, we've got cases where you actually take a chair out into the stream uh, so a, a woman who's quite frail can sit in a chair and cast to, to trout. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, it's a great experience. And John's a wonderful teacher, really good uh, coach and teacher. And... Uh, uh, it's been fun. We had a lot of fun at the TU Fly Fishing School this past weekend, right. and uh, that's a that's an annual event up in Ranch Rudolph for Child Unlimited. One um, other, uh, before we leave Reeling and Healing, the, the, the closing ceremony is kind of fun, where mm. the, the lady who runs this thing has accumulated several Tupperware bins full of goofy costume-like Clothing, you know, funny-looking sweaters, hats, sunglasses, whatever. 
and all the all the people who are at the staff and the that help help put this reeling and healing thing together. We all dress up and we have some fun with with the students. <laughs> and I and at the last one, I'm not sure if I should be happy or sad. But one lady, I was wearing some sort of a skirt looking thing. A tutu. And a, lady, and a lady looked at me and said, "You look like Ernest Hemingway in drag." I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm proud of that how, or not. How do you process that? <laughs> <laughs> now that's a hell of a picture, podcast <laughs> listeners. <laughs> we'll leave you guys to dwell on that. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. They they really have a good time. Uh, John Headwaters Land Conservancy uh, has some. Uh, some fundraisers, and I think one is a log drive, and another is a shoot coming up. Right? Do you want to touch on that? Yep. Uh, the the log drive is the weekend of the Lovell's Bridge Walk, which is, if I remember correctly, is the twenty first of August. I think uh, that's right. Year, that's that's right. Saturday. That's Saturday around the. If it's not the twenty first, it's within a day of that. <clears throat> and so that's always a, a fun event uh, at at in Lovell's. Um, it's it's a takeoff on the on the Mackinac. Bridge walk. Only this one is it's much more arduous. It takes a lot longer to walk than oh. thirty four feet across the bridge. <laughs> it's whatever it is. incredibly strenuous. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, <laughs> they got water stations along the way and, and yes. that sort of stuff, <laughs> which helps. But be sure to train for it. You, you need to train for it. So part of that, that part of that weekend is is a fundraiser to help the local police or the fire department. There's some funds that are raised for that. But in addition, the uh, the Headwaters Land Conservancy. Uh, stealing an item that actually Glenn invented some number of years yeah, ago yeah. is uh, we we make up about 400 or 500 quote-unquote logs, which are in fact poplar sticks that are maybe two inches in diameter and a foot long, each one of which has a number written on it. <laughs> and people buy, buy these logs for $5 a piece or five for 20. <laughs> and uh, so hopefully we raise a bunch of money. Then we take the logs and we dump them all in the river. These are all biodegradable. No, no worry about that. <laughs> they are dumped into the river above the, above the bridge. At the tavern. At the tavern. And then all of these logs come floating down the river, pass under the bridge, and are collected by some of the, the headwaters people and it picked up, and in sequence, the first log down through is first prize, and second is second, etc. And then we'll have, I don't know, four or five, six prizes, I suppose. And uh, some people get some pretty fancy, you know, $100 worth of, of stuff out mm -hmm. of uh, picking up these logs, and kind of a fun event. It, it puts uh, Headwaters on the map a little bit for people who aren't familiar with Headwaters. Uh, what we are is a, a conservation, a, a conservancy, Many of you may be familiar with the term the Nature Conservancy, which is works primarily out west, but we're both doing, trying to do the same thing, which is which is preserve large tracts of land. Now, out west, they they may be protecting tens of thousands of acres in one shot, whereas we're happy to we, in some cases we have protected two, three, four acres. Right. Uh, very but, special land. But very special <laughs> land places that and what a conservancy does is it protects this land from ever being developed again. So that no nobody in the future is going to cut that piece up into five five little lots and sell them off. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a bit of a misnomer. The the word conservation easement. Some people think of uh, public access is is automatic, but really it's uh, deed restrictions, uh, building restrictions, and it's just preserving property in perpetuity, which is a great program. But uh, when when we did the log drive, I think I got a call from Keith. Uh, 
Martell, who was one of the board members of uh, Headwaters Land Conservancy, and he said, um, how many, how many, he's a forester and he owns a Christmas tree farm up in uh, the Gaylord area. And he said, how many, how many of these logs do we need? I said, Keith, I think 50,000 would do it. <laughs> <laughs> he let up a gasp first and then a chuckle. So uh, <laughs> we have fun but, with it. But Headwaters Conservancy, we, we look after, the, if you will, the northeast corner of the mitten. Uh, kind of, kind of east, east side, east of I-75, and up towards the bridge, uh, and uh, 11, 11 counties. counties, 11 counties in the northeast corner of the state. I think to date we have something on the order of 83 or 84 easements that we we preserve. <clears throat> We've got I don't know 23 miles of shoreline and lake line mm, protected, wow. and uh, I've forgotten the number, but 12,000 acres or some some number on on that order. <clears throat> Great so program. we think we're we think we're doing good stuff. Um, and uh, that's uh, so. That's one of the aspects of, of Headwaters Conservancy. The, now there's the, a there's a shoot coming the, up too. The following order. weekend, yep. after if you if you didn't win your at the log drive, <laughs> or maybe you did win and now you want to you're on a roll. Yeah. The following weekend, we put on a Hot Shots for Headwaters uh, Sporting Plays shoot up at the Lewiston Sportsman's League, which it surprisingly is near Lewiston. <laughs> uh, Coincidentally, I told you he was quick, John. He's, he's a bright guy. <laughs> so that's the following weekend. That that will start at ten o'clock in the morning. There, uh, hundred bird course. Bring your own shells. Um, shells right now, as you may know, are at a real premium. It can't. Joe Biden has really made good. sure that there's no ammunition and no and and he's the best gun salesman that we've had recently. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, the truth. But we'll we'll have fifty or sixty folks who will come out and shoot. Uh, put on a big lunch, and we'll even have some little prize prizes and some auctions and whatever <clears throat> available. But it's uh, the people that we seem to see the same people each year. They always seem to come back. They like it. It's a good bunch of folks, and uh, would certainly encourage anyone who is who is interested. Uh, you're welcome to come out uh, for both of these events that we're talking about. If you were to go to headwaterslandconservancy.org on the internet. Uh, that'll get you. That'll get you to where you need to be, uh, and we look forward to seeing you at, at both of those events. Uh, it's a it's a fun time with with a, a bunch of other good folks. Good but, fun and a good cause. No, John. Just for for clarification, you, you know, a lot of the guys do come back year over year over year, but the door's not closed to new folks. No, absolutely not. No, and, and, and you don't have to be a a seasoned you know, wing shooter. No, to, no. Just come on out and, and it just. Come on out and make some noise. There you go. That's, and have some fun. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. It, mm. It's wide open mm. to all people of all all levels. There are prizes whether you're whether you're a, a, a master class shooter or whether you're you know a, a kind of a raw beginner. Uh, you have a you have a chance of winning prizes no matter what your skill level is. So well, there we go. certainly certainly enjoy you know would have, enjoy seeing you out there. And I that's think there's awesome. a good prize for the guy that gets the lowest score. Which is kind of fun. I think I may be, <laughs> I may be entering that. That's the, it's the, Auto, the Audubon Award. It's a, it's a bird conservation thing. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> not a, not a feather fits. was harmed in the yeah, production right. of this event. <laughs> that's right. Oh my nice. God. Yeah, I think I could probably qualify for that. Yeah. Um, awesome. That, speaking of hunting, uh, uh, John has had some wonderful uh, black labs in his career, and and uh, uh, he's had the. Uh, good opportunity to uh, spend some time out at the Huntsman, uh, working his dogs, and share some of that with uh, our listeners, John. That's been a 
uh, great hobby for you and a, a in source of enjoyment. Sure, well, sure has been. I uh, people ask me what you know, ask me about my career and what I did, and I my my glib answer is, I spent most of my time hunting, fishing, and training gun dogs. The rest of it I wasted. There you go. <laughs> uh, but but that being said, I started out. I uh, had a, a little a Springer initially, a Springer Spaniel, and I managed to find a club uh, that trained Springers, and so I had a series of Springers, uh, which I which I trained and and uh, had fun with, but. Finally, my wife, the last dog we had uh, was kind of a, a bit of an issue. I won't go into that whole thing, but my, my wife had said, that's enough. I've had enough Springers. And so, but she said, I know you want to get another, I know you want to get another dog. And I said, well, gosh, much of the hunting I do is is uh, duck hunting. So I need a retriever type. And so I, again, a long story, we can't go into it here, but I, I bought a dog that was born in Scotland and had her shipped over and uh, Tartan, her name was Tartan, we called her Tar, ended up with something over 1,200 retrieves and about 80 trip to Children's Hospital in Detroit as a therapy dog. Oh my God, what a Excellent. story. So she was, yeah. she was a neat critter. She was a nice dog. Uh, and she put, put a lot of smiles on my face, but more importantly, put smiles mm-hmm. on the face of a lot of kids and parents down at Children's. She was a hell of a dog. That is huge. Nice, nice dog. Yeah. She was a nice dog. Yeah. We finally lost her. I don't know, probably a dozen, 13 years ago, something like that. And so I got another dog, I imported another dog from from, uh, from Britain this time. And uh, so we've had her, she has never had the opportunity for as much retrieving as Tar did, but Daisy has several hundred retrieves under her belt. Uh, and But she, I don't think, will ever make it as a, as a, uh, uh, as a therapy dog. She's still very enthusiastic and... Uh, I'd hate to go into a kid's room and have and have Tar pull an IV out of the kid's arm, jumping around. <laughs> Daisy. So as a result, yeah. uh, or Daisy. So as yeah. a result, uh, I've never, I have not gotten her involved in in uh, in the therapy thing. But but uh, she she brings a smile to my face. And in fact, last week, uh, Jane took the dog home. I was still up here by myself, and I can't tell you how many times I looked around and said, "Where's the dog? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. time to feed her." Or whatever, and right. I, oh wait a minute, she's 175 miles away right. from me. Darn it! They really become part of your life, don't they? Mm-hmm. We all three of us own dogs mm-hmm. and uh, are all of the same sentiment. You bet. Uh, I, I, there, there's another experience that uh, I enjoyed with John Dallas a number of years ago, and I think it was 2011, I believe. Uh, and uh, we, we, along with a few other guys, ended up in. Uh, going north to Labrador to a place that answers the fisherman's prayer. And the fisherman's prayer is pretty simple. It's, uh, Lord, suffer me to catch a fish that is so large that I, in telling of it afterwards, will have no cause to lie. Mm -hmm. And uh, John and I, with some other good friends, went up to Labrador (coughs) for big brook trout. Uh, John, would you share that story with us? Uh, We we had brook trout and black flies, as I remember. (laughs) And they were about equal size, if I remember yeah, correctly. That's right. There was a pretty good artist that went with us too. Right. I was. I was going to say the, the uh, one of the people who went along with us is a man named Larry Corey. Larry, in his in his business career, was a commercial artist, extraordinarily good, te- good good artist. Did a lot of, of artwork for the uh, car companies and doing catalogs and brochures and what mm-hmm. have you. Their calendars every year. And Larry. I've known Larry for a number of years. I actually 
when I started building fly rods, I actually built a rod for Larry early on. He lived in our neighborhood uh, at the time. So we get on the plane to fly out of Detroit, <laughs> and we've just about gotten in, lashed our seatbelts in, and Larry starts saying, quick, I need, I need, I need your barf bags. Please, where, where are your barf bags? And, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, we haven't even taxied out of the run, and he's already throwing up. This guy's he's, got a real <laughs> delicate stomach, I thought. Oh, man. <laughs> so everybody is scrambling around getting their, their barf bags and passing them up to Larry. Well, by the time we got off the plane, Larry had done about 10, if there were 10 barf bags, he had done 10 pen and ink sketches of brook trout eating flies and catching minnows and whatever on these 10 different barf bags <laughs> and handed them back to each one of us. And it was, and he had it labeled as Larry Corey Barf Art. <laughs> classic. That's classic. That's amazing. So we all had those. And I think all of us, all of us who, who were on that trip, I think we all have gotten that framed. And I know it's, it, in our cabin here, we have a, a, a piece in, in our lower level, which we call Corey's Corner. Mm-hmm. And we've got, I've got, I've gosh, I don't know, seven or eight or nine of his pieces. And the barf art is, is one, one of the, it holds a prime <laughs> spot. But it was, uh, in fact, Glenn, as he mentioned it, Glenn somehow got a hold of an, another one. I'm not sure if he stole it from someone else or whatever mm-hmm. it was, but <laughs> offered it up for, for uh, an auction for one of the TU chapters here. And yeah, brought yeah. several hundred dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Sure did. Yeah, and, so, I, and I bought one again from from uh, for the anglers' thirtieth. Larry uh, donated it, so uh, we've got a couple of them. But he's quite an artist and a great guy. And good and, guy, uh, absolutely. He know. he and I were fishing on that trip. I had just gotten a brand new Scott rod, brand new. It had never even had a fly on it yet. I'd <laughs> gotten it a day or two before we left on the trip. And I had it, Larry and I were in the boat with the guide, and my the guide had the rods laid out horizontally on the on the seats. Uh-oh. <laughs> and Larry catches a good fish, and I've got my camera, and I'm taking a picture of Larry with his pretty fish. And the, uh, the fish flops out of his hands, falls down, hits the rod, and breaks the rod. Uh, it had never even had a fly cast on it. <laughs> So, oh, 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 so that was uh, that was a little bit of an, of an embarrassment, but it was still it was a great trip. I think that I think there were about eight or nine of us on that trip, and I think we caught fifty fish over five pounds. Oh my! It was it was stunning. It was really stunning. Good good <laughs> trip. Yep. If anybody's interested, Minipi Lodge uh, is is it's great stuff. Heck of a trip, and Larry Corey must have taken four million pictures. If he didn't have a fly rod in his hand, the camera was the camera in his was hand. There. But yeah. just big, beautiful trout. Uh, we have no idea how they grow so big uh, in such a short growing season. It's just a, it's just a great. Anybody has a chance to do it? Uh, I think Barry Andrews sets up trips up there uh, periodically, and uh, it was a trip of a lifetime. Well, you've and, been up a couple of times, haven't you? Uh, just once. I've been just once. One for and, you? And Larry okay. Corey's been a number of times, and oh. somehow he does some bartering with uh, artwork. Uh, and oh, there you uh, go. He, he he gets up there and he's he's a heck of a sportsman. Well, so so John, you you fished some exotic places, but you fished a lot here too. Do do you have a favorite hatch or a favorite time to be on the water? I like brown drakes. Sure. Brown brown drakes. Uh, actually, we've got reasonably good brown drake water around our cabin, which makes it easy. 
Uh, I've gotten basically I've gotten too old to stay out till two o'clock in the morning looking for <laughs> looking for hex. Although the first time I ever encountered the hex was again at my buddy's house over on the Manistee, and he really was not a terribly avid fisherman. But we got over there and we had dinner. We probably had a glass of wine or two, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and I walked out of the cabin and looked in the river and there was a fisherman about every 30 yards along the river. And normally that stretch, you don't see a person all day long. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the river was just wall to wall with fishermen. And I walked up to a guy and I said, this is, looks strange to me, what, what's going mm-hmm. on here? And he said, what's well, the hex? I said, the hex? What's the hex? <laughs> and he, said, he looked at me like I had three eyes and I, he said, you don't know what the hex is. I said, I have no idea, sir. And he went on to describe hexagenia lumbata, blah, 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 big bug. And he reached into his hat and he pulled out and gave me what I will call a South Branch swallow. Okay. Which is about a three inch long body and a four inch wide wingspan hex fly. It looked more like a model airplane. Small Cessna landing on her. You're going to fish with this thing? <laughs> well, that, it, you fish with those with what my, my famous cast, which is called a concussion cast, where it hits the water and stuns the fish. But so that was and somewhere, I, I, somewhere I've still got that fly. It never, it never was in the water. Oh, that's great. Somewhere I've got that fly. I, I was great. thinking about that yesterday. I need to look that one up. But it was a South Branch swallow, and so <laughs> that. I, but I, I do enjoy. I have a riverboat, uh, which I and I enjoy. I enjoy mm-hmm. running people in the riverboat as much as I do fishing itself. I just mm-hmm. enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all good except for one trip, where oh, the anglers yeah. were having a. Uh, a it was, it was a, a fundraiser thing. Maybe for the 30th, I've forgotten exactly, well, maybe guys, the 30th. You did that too, didn't you? Yes, yes, yeah. I did. Yeah, and yeah. Fun. So it was, uh, uh, they, they were auctioning off a, a, a print, actually a print done by Larry Corey. It was a very, very unique one. It was a, a, a picture of John Volker. Uh, it was an issue of 10. So there's only 10 of these prints available. Yes. And, and Larry gave me mm-hmm. one to raffle off for the, for the anglers. And so to try to goose up the, the thing, I said to anybody, uh, anybody who uh, buys $300 worth of raffle tickets, which was the price of a float in those days, right? if you buy $300 worth of raffle tickets, I'll take you on a float trip. And I'll buy lunch and all that kind of stuff. So lo and behold, a man bought $300 worth of tickets, a man named, man named Lou Black, who in fact owned the property adjacent, just downstream from, from the, uh, um, God's, uh, Not a club. Yeah. The Oxbow. 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 The Oxbow oh, Club. there we go. <clears throat> Next door to the Oxbow. And, uh, and he, he bought the trip and said, can you take me and my buddy Rex fishing tomorrow? I said, well, sure. Now these are two 80 year old guys at this point. We put <laughs> in it, we did, I think I did, uh, Burton's to Stefan's okay. and all was good. We had a nice lunch, nice shore lunch and all that sort of stuff. And we we're 50 yards upstream from the Stefan Bridge oh. when there was, and it's still there today, Some, there's a rock. There's a couple of Right rocks. of center, right of center. Mm-hmm. I can still see it. Right of center. I didn't recognize it on that trip. The boat snagged that rock, hung up, rotated, dumped with the open side upstream, oh. snagged on the rock. Oh, no. I've now got two 80-year-old guys in the water. 
floundering yeah, around. Fortunately, the water's knee deep or, sh- or shin you deep. You can at that stand point. up and be safe. Yeah. Right, but uh, my my boat bag, which had you know God knows how many boxes of flies and oh. a GPS and a camera, and uh, it all went downstream. Oh no! And uh, so I, the next day, in fact, I got in my wife's kayak and floated down and started picking up stuff. Mm. And I found I found the the red bag itself. Well below the sucker hole, uh, on, on the, on <laughs> the, uh, on, yeah, below gate, below gates, or yeah, so quite a quite a distance yeah, down. But a ways anyway, away. <laughs> I, I, I felt so bad because they actually broke a rod. One of the one of their rods broke, and I said, Lou, look, I'll pay for the rod, and I can't imagine you'd ever want to do this again. But I owe you another trip. Well, I never had to pay for the rod, and he never went on another trip. <laughs> he was cured. He was cured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Usually had, people had come back. adventure. <laughs> it's, and somebody went on a trip with John here recently, and uh, they said, my God, we, every place we would go by on the boat, John knew the history of the building, uh, uh, the background, and, and uh, how it was established, maybe who built it, and it was sold in 1946 to this guy, and their family now lives up in the... John knew all the history coming down the river. He said that was more important, more fun than catching fish. Uh, and that was an ex-president of the Anglers of the Osabo and his wife, who John uh, uh, generously took on a float here a few days ago. So I had a, one of those, one of the points I think I probably mentioned to Tom was I was coming down and was some distance down below Shaw Park and I could hear a, a, an enthusiastic bunch of young kids in their canoes, hooping and hollering, coming by, and I thought, well, that's fine. And it was, a, it was kind of an awkward corner I was coming up to, and I thought, well, they're—I suspect they're going to get in trouble in this corner. I don't want to be in the middle of this melee. Right. So I pulled way off on the inside and put the boat up in about three inches of water to let these kids go by. And predictably, they came by, hooping and hollering, having a great time, and they were wearing T-shirts, something about Jewish World Conference Camp. Or some such thing. Oh okay. my gosh! So, and all the boys were wearing their yarmulkes, okay, and oh coming down and around, and they, and although I had put the boat up in the weeds on the inside corner, one of them still managed to t-bone me. He still got you. He still got me. Really? He got me. I was, I was, I was stopped, so I was not a moving target. Maybe that made it easier for him. I'm oh my sure. god! But that fall at the at the Anglers River cleanup, they always gave an award for the most unusual. Uh, sure. Thing that came out of the river. What's the most unique, right? That year it was a yarmulke. That would be <laughs> interesting. I remember that when Rusty was making the award the next year, because it was you pick up the trash in the fall, and then he makes the award at the next, uh, usually the next year, and he said, uh, and they said, well, what was what was the uh, piece of trash? And Rusty said, one of those, one of those little hats. So he says, what do you mean a little hat? He said, little black hats that you wear. And, and somebody uh, yelled out, Yama. He said, yeah, that's what it was. It was a yarmulke. And uh, guys were looking at uh, uh, Rusty Gates' uh, treasure right over there. See that trophy, John? Do you know oh, that? Yep, I knew that. Yeah, English of the Assemble 2005. I won that for picking up a stiletto knife. <laughs> now, why it was sitting on the sand, it would have been there for about another 30 seconds before it went down. Right. Um, turned it in, and that's that's my prize. Because a crushed beer can is there the trophy. There you go. I love it. I love it. Yeah, there's been some very interesting uh, finds, and and oh, for yeah. as long as they've been doing the river cleanup, there's not. It's not like it was in the day when you'd have dumpsters, you know, ten, twelve yards of debris. Now everybody's, yeah. and which is a great thing. 
It's a great, great thing. But so after all those years, somebody is on a beat down on the south and they bring back a Blatt's can of beer that's full. (laughs) Blatt's. Blatt's. That's old. That's That's, old school. That's with the the key top. Not not a pop top. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but the the old school style. And it was just like. How still, did that even? You still see the label pretty well on it. Well, you could see, yeah. I mean, it was all dulled out as sure, you would but... expect for being underwater, and you know, a little uh, silty and such. Yeah. But it's just like, okay, it's still holding beer. I think. <laughs> and, yeah. and after all the people that have, you know, been through through year after year after year, worked back up. So yeah, maybe it just, just must have percolated sure. up out of the silt and presented itself. Yeah, there's some quite interesting things that are found. And, uh, at that angler's uh, cleanup, uh, for a number of years, John Dallas and uh, my son Dave and a few other guys have uh, gathered. And we used to pick up trash, but somehow we got put on the cooking detail. Oh, so the we've got duty. a great big grill that's uh, oak-fired. And uh, as John says, you, the, the smoke is always coming at you. You can't, you mm-hmm. can't get away from it. And we, we get home and you've got to degrease before you can even go in the house. So just uh, cooking brats and hamburgers and cheeseburgers. and That's a great outing. About, great time. about four years ago, after one of those events that Glenn just mentioned, I was on my way home and I was about halfway back to my house from the, from the anglers and I hit a deer. Oh. Oh. Uh, you know, I'm going back. I am hot. I am, I am cooked to very well done. <laughs> and my eyes are watering. I smell like smoke. I've probably had a couple of adult beverages along the way mm-hmm. just to avoid dehydration, of course. Of course. Get the dust out of your throat. And and so I hit this deer and I thought, I gotta wait now. I'm gonna I do want a police report on this thing for insurance purposes. Sure. So I called them up and I said, I've hit a deer, you know, I and they of course they get that call gosh knows how many times yeah. a day. And yes. the last thing they want to do is waste some deputy's time coming up, but, but I said, I really would like to see something. So I had to sit there on the side of the road, still cooking in my own juices oh. for about another half an hour until the guy shows up. And so that was, that was a long day, but it's oh fun. It's fun to, to be next to Glenn and Dave, uh, slinging, slinging burgers and brats. It was fun. I, you know, and speaking of eating, uh, meat and steaks, I'll never forget one of John's comments. Uh, uh, I don't know where we were, but uh, somebody was cooking uh, steaks for us, and they said, "Hey Dallas, how do you like your steak?" And John looked at him and with a big grin, and he said, "You know, I like it just to the point where a good vet can't bring it back." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I never forget that. A little bit on the rare side. That, that was John. my grandfather's style. <laughs> He'd put a put a steak on a fork. Reach in his pocket, pop out a Zippo, wave it around over both sides of the <laughs> and steak, was, and declare it to be overdone. And it was done. <laughs> <laughs> I after my own heart. <laughs> just like, oh, oh my please god! Put that away. Hey, this has been a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> my gosh! And, and then this should be only hour one of, of an eight-hour session, as I said. But <laughs> no. uh, John, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for all the memories, uh, for the friendship, uh, for what you've done for the river, for conservation, and for. Uh, uh, helping people enjoy this as much as we do. It's it's been a great it's been a great uh, great run up here. It's been now thirty some odd years for me up here, and and uh, 
I'd be, I'd be happy if it was another 30. But again, right. appreciate you guys taking the time to, to put up with my gibberish. It was, it's oh. been a fun, been a fun, fun morning. This, this is one that's been on the radar for a while, John. I'm glad we're able to share your conversation with our listeners. They, uh, wherever something good is happening on the river, there's typically John's within three feet of it. You so betcha. It's, it's, he's a pretty yeah. special gentleman, and, and we're delighted to have you. Great. And we're hoping, we're hoping to get uh, the podcast uh, uh, announced on the TU Forum, which is uh, quite a, a website. Uh, it's uh, oh, a little bulletin board, to things of a trouty nature. Trout, Trout Unlimited <laughs> Forum, and it's all kinds of information about uh, what to do, where to go, uh, some philosophy, some, uh, uh, but very helpful and informative. So uh, you might even find us on the TU Forum in another uh, few days. So. Well, there we go. There we go. Very exciting. John Dallas, thanks so much. It's been my, my pleasure. Thanks. Let's go fishing tonight. Amen. <laughs> there we have it. <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me at the number of great people we have up in this watershed. Uh, there are fantastic people everywhere on this planet doing great things every day, but uh, golly, are we lucky to have a bunch of them up here. So thanks for sharing your time with us. Uh, we enjoyed putting this together for you and we'll look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks with another episode of the Backcast podcast.